big decisions, paths followed, choices made. This is Connections, conversations about life and work. I'm your host, Jim Allen. Anna Emanuel, the first person to appear twice on the show for a turn visit. So hello. Hi. So, um... How did appearing on my podcast change your life? Oh my God. Be, be honest. <laughs> Actually, it was really life-changing. It was a real, so thank you for having me back. I have to say, You truly, did something right. I so. did something right. It was, um, <clears throat> you know what? It was an opportunity to discuss this big shift that I had made in my life, making a big change from one career into real estate. And then what I think what our conversation did for me was it sort of, validated my decision and it made it feel really real. And instead of it just being in my head that, oh yes, this is what I do now, I was able to articulate all the feelings and thoughts I had around that move and just get it out on the table. And it felt really good. It was not like therapy exactly, but <laughs> a little bit like that. So that video, uh, that conversation, uh, in case people haven't seen it, yes. it, it was basically you worked a long time in events and television, mm -hmm. and you made the big decision to move into real estate. Yes. Right. And that was a huge change because I right. did not really expect that I would ever make that true commitment to make that shift. And I did it. Now, another big decision that uh, I thought it'd be fun to have you back to okay. talk about. Um, you're a real estate agent, but not long after we talked, you changed agencies. Why do people change agencies? Why did you change yeah. agencies? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, most agents, I now know, dread January because basically you don't know what your year will look like. You don't know whether you're going to have any clients that year. You don't know how you're going to mm -hmm. feel about the market. The market is shifting constantly. You just don't know what's going to happen. And what I found is that at my uh, older firm that I was at, which I actually feel was top-notch, incredibly well-run firm, mm -hmm. I had outgrown some of the things that they were teaching me already. And I thought, I need to learn something more somewhere else. So right. it wasn't that I left them because they did anything wrong. They were wonderful and actually really have a lot of good relationships still with them. But when I made the decision to move, it was twofold. First of all, the place that I was going to was offering me the opportunity to work with some of their client base already, already in place. So I'd bring my own clients, plus they had some clients that I could work with. And that was, it proved to me to be a really wonderful marriage. Okay. This is what you wrote on Instagram. Okay. About this. <laughs> oh my God, this is your life, Anna. <laughs> I know. I'm I'm throwing your words back in I your face here. <laughs> in late 2021, I was feeling really disillusioned with the real estate in industry. I joined the, this business to help people find their dream home, and I was beginning to find it was way too focused on the agent mm -hmm. and the process, and not so much on the people at the heart of it, the client who needs a solution. So. Yeah. That ring I, a bell? Did I you, still totally feel that way. I didn't yeah. remember the words that I used, but that's, I do remember writing it now. It was a stressful day. You were just probably. <laughs> you know what? I really, really feel strongly that, so brokerages generally do focus on the agent at the heart of the transaction right. and don't spend a lot of time thinking about what the agent is doing for the customer or the client at the end of that transaction. And I started to feel very upset by that because what I found is agents were, I don't know, um, not colluding, it's not the right word, but communicating with each other as though clients weren't mattering, money didn't matter, 
It was, let's make this deal happen. What you know? What are you going to do to get your client to sign this? And really pushing people in directions that I didn't feel comfortable. Um, and no one at my, my company was doing that. But generally, I was exposed to so many agents behaving like that. Right. And I thought, there's got to be a better place where there are better agents. And I, but what I mean by that is people who have high morals, high values, integrity, and really put the client at the center of the transaction. It's not about whether the brokerage has um, fancy title and makes a lot of money at the end of the day or the agents do because, yes, we make some money. But at the end of the day, my clients are the ones that have to hold that mortgage at the end of the day. They're the ones who have to, you know, be able to sleep at night. So I really did make that shift and I felt very strongly at that time. And I, it was the right move for me. I guess when you're out with an agent too, like someone like me, because I've maybe yeah. done three or four sure. transactions in my life kind of thing. But there, sometimes there is a moment where, is this person just want to make the transaction right. and get the, you know, uh, or not? And that's a, sometimes, a, you know, if you change your mind about that person, it can happen in a second. Like yes. So you always have to, an agent I've dealt with out here is actually uh, always has the right answer yeah. to whatever <laughs> obstacle comes up. It's like, and it, it's amazing. Talking yeah. about, you know, therapy, it's like sometimes you're, because it's a very emotional time usually, and you're freaking out, and you're not getting as much money as you wanted or yeah. whatever, and so it's a very emotional yeah. issue, it can be, and so sometimes you just need someone to talk you down from the ledge, right? So. Right. Talk you down from the ledge, but you know that they're in your corner at the same time, yes. that they're not working for the other guy. Yes. And I don't Or themselves, right? Or themselves, right? That's so, the issue for me. It's like yeah. the other guys... I, Right. Maybe there are, maybe they are on the other side of the transaction as well, which is another thing completely. But yeah, you do want someone that's on your side, right? Yes, and there's a lot of clients that recognize that, and and others that don't. Some trust easily. Some it takes a long time to build trust, and any and all are okay. Ultimately, my entire personal brand and my connection to real estate is that it's no pressure. Um, it's a no pressure situation. You have this much, that's what we offer. We don't kill ourselves to offer more and then you can't sleep at the end of the day. Like that's painful. I don't want to be in that position myself, so I would never want my clients to be in that position. But there are certainly a lot of agents who are high transaction focused and I'm not. I'm actually focused on quality and length of relationship rather than one, yeah, go, 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 go. So back to this Instagram thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I've noticed you, you're on Instagram a lot or a little bit more than you used to, yeah. right? So typically it's new listings. Yeah. Uh, hey, I've got an open house. Come yeah. and visit me at the open house. So is what's that been like? Is that working for you? Um, well, I realized at some point that people just want to know what I'm thinking as I'm going through my day sometimes. Right. And yes, it's really exciting to show gorgeous pictures of houses. And I, that does float my boat for me. I love it anyway. So I put that up. But I realized at some point, I mean, I had one Instagram where I was sitting in the car waiting for the rain to stop. I was just thinking about <laughs> that. I was just going to say that to you. <laughs> I what am I going to do? I'm going to wreck my hair. I didn't I bring an umbrella. so many people reach out to me after that. They were like, <laughs> you're like a real person. <laughs> but yeah. it was, it was, you know what it is? Because in real estate, it's a really lonely business. You are right. alone a lot. You're in your car a lot. You're right. driving around a lot. You're thinking about your clients, but you're not with your clients most of the time. You're looking at houses on their behalf. And sometimes I end up a lot in my car and I'm like... I have something to say about this moment right now and I'm going to say it. And I uh, I started to sort of rip the bandit as they say, being less polished, less perfect. And I have come to the realization that 
people want to know who you really are, then you just tell them really um, naturally and organically on Instagram. I really don't feel like people all, you know, want to know every single listing and all the details. They can look that up pretty yeah. easily. They just Google it, boom, there's the address. But yeah. it's really more my style and who I am and how I approach the business that I think people get to know. Well, it is, it is interesting. There's a couple of things. I mean, you can just, you know, the phones are great these days, of course. Yeah. But you just pan your, you, could all, you used to have all these beautiful, and you probably still do, beautiful professional shots. But you, you can also just pan your phone or your thousand dollar phone around, yeah. And it looks okay. That's a, maybe a more realistic mm -hmm. vision of what it is. Now we were just talking just before we started about uh, someone I stumbled across in Hamilton, a realtor, yeah, a, a, a woman probably in her thirties, a figure, and uh, but it's like every moment of her day, uh, and it's like I just had this awful transact, you know, phone call with another agent, and it's quite intoxicating because yeah. it's it is it's kind of a warts and all thing yeah. i don't know it's a behind it, the scenes feel i don't know if it's working for her or not but it's right you know <laughs> it's on my feed all the time but uh <laughs> well you like to know the the background the behind the scenes stuff so maybe that's the the uh it's got you it's got you pecked <laughs> so you're a little more active on instagram so do you have any any particular strategy there or is it just kind of a uh well usually the strategy is to communicate Honestly, at least once or twice a week, I'm on camera just talking about what I'm doing, where I'm at, what I'm seeing, what might be coming up. And then when my listings come up, those are getting coverage two or three times that week, if not the next week. Um, but I don't do a ton of promotions yet. I haven't gotten into that sort of next level Instagram right. world, which I know is coming. And I think this right. is the year that I, at 2023, I have to dig in a little bit deeper into that side of things because there's untapped potential both on Instagram, YouTube Shorts, Facebook. I know TikTok. I haven't even TikTok. I haven't even so started. You watch yet. TikTok? No, you don't watch. I don't TikTok. yet. <laughs> well, so, my daughter does. But so. there are realtors. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, the person I'm talking to uh, talking about was on uh, TikTok. Uh, investment people, self styled financial gurus, right. and they're spitting out opinions. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I showed you one briefly. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. They're talking about, you know, renting versus owning. Right. And you can go down this rabbit hole for an hour, all these arguments about renting versus owning or owning stocks versus owning a house. Yeah. And they and there's very compelling arguments for all of these things mm -hmm. uh, or the impact of high interest rates or rising mm -hmm. interest rates, right? Mm -hmm. All of these things are big topics these days. But And they, they flood the, the zone yeah. with content and then they kind of, in a sense, become thought leaders, whether or not you... <laughs> agree with them or not um i mean you you have to you have to talk yeah about all of these issues every yes. day um i mean you almost have to be an economist yourself right yes. or you have to keep up with this stuff so how do you do that yeah uh it's a great question i'm really active on my research i am constantly researching data um through some of the typical sources, which are um the treb which is the toronto real estate board and and sort of other boards that are tracking sales data. Um, I have a few charts that I track uh, over time, over the last 10 years, what the sales are doing in terms of price price of homes. Where have we seen busts and booms? So we can sort of see some patterns. So I'm constantly watching and reading economists' uh, predictions, which again, always with a grain of salt. But it helps that if you actually look at more than one, to your point, there's a lot of people who will say one thing and then they might 
recant it tomorrow. So you really have to have a breadth of knowledge across the board from bankers, from world economists, from insurance companies, from uh, the, you know, the institutes that follow data for real estate and try to constantly bring that into some sort of focus and vision for people because absolutely you read the media one day it says one thing the next day it's another thing and it's not that the media is wrong they're fo they're focusing on the data of that day yeah. and you really need context and so context <clears throat> is all i ever do right. i'm always sharing how can we look at this information five years from now five years from pri prior to now and then what does that mean to you in the at yeah. the end of the day what's well, like even you know with rising interest rates the 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 GICs go up too, right? Right. right. And so, um, so ne there's the inevitable article the other day where maybe you should consider getting a GIC because we're now, you know, these rates are edging up. And then if you read the whole article, of yeah. course they go. However, over thirty years, <laughs> like the stock market is eight point six percent. So you know, right. There's no one answer, but what's right for you. And then I just left that out for my <laughs> wife and look at that. Anyway. Well, that's what but that's exactly to your point. What you're bringing up is the idea of at the end of the day, you're trying to create equity or wealth in your life for to create possibly what they call generational wealth, right? It doesn't stop with you. You're handing something to someone else. Your father handed it to you. You might say, you know what, I want to hand to my girls this uh xyz so i think everyone is asking themselves like am i doing it right because we don't really learn these things in school right where should you invest your money that's not a topic that is covered so you end up most people end up learning it at the kitchen table which is really where most of my conversations about this stuff actually take place right so i have a question for you yeah. ad-lib question so sure. i mean we moved about two and a half years ago <clears throat> so um is it like financial suicide to just move like every couple of years if you're not? I mean, there's not going right. to be any. If we had Equity sold maybe media. a year ago, maybe we would have done better than today. Sure. But does it? I mean, because that gets eaten up with fees and commissions, yes. right? If I, if you or uh, what is there a, a bellwet? Like, should I wait five years yes. before you're even thinking about it? Or, or no, you're totally right. It's exactly <clears> right. <throat> if you're moving every two three years, the only value there is if you are actually. So there is the value that's in equity and then there's value in location that you're buying into. You may still be making a better move, moving into a better location, even if you feel like you're losing money, because ultimately if you do settle in one place, then that will grow much faster, mm -hmm. right? You will see better uh, return. But what I would say, the general rule is that Canadians usually move every five to seven and a half years. And that is usually five years before you see any actual growth in your So that's equity. a real stat? That's a real stat. The average Canadian moves every five to seven five years. Five to seven like, years. It, Closer to seven years. Like buying and selling, you mean? Correct. As opposed yeah. to and at some point when they reach into <clears throat> sort of 65 or so, there seems to be a settling down of obviously the every seven year scenario. But that's obviously amortized over like all of Canadian, right. all of Canada. But um, you see a lot of people move much more often. Some never, ever move ever. Yeah, there's um, a variety of reasons why but people a have to move too. Yeah. It might be work related yeah. or, or whatever. Well, so. there's the new, you know, there's the single moving out of your home, then a couple, then a baby, then a second kid, then the big family home, then start starting back to downsize as the children get, get older. And then right to the, what we call, um, you know, sort of sizing your, your house for your life. 
where you are then moving into your retirement phase or whatever, and you're not right. necessarily going to need like a five bedroom house. So right. there are there are a lot of real true life stages that I follow people through and we watch, you know, what are you going to need in five to 10 years? If you're going to invest in a place, make it a place you think you want to live in for five or seven years. If you do think you're not going to want it in two years, probably don't buy it. Well, I can tell you from personal experience, the kids do come back home. So, <laughs> so you can never downsize. <laughs> well, we did downsize, and that was a, anyway. We have bunk beds everywhere now. It's no, hilarious. I'm kidding. We don't have bunk beds. Here. Um, so, back to this Instagram thing. This is a big theme of mine. Yeah. I'm just, just getting into Instagram really lately. So, but you don't have. We talked about this a little yeah. bit last time. You don't seem to have a problem being on camera, right? Putting yourself on camera. Yeah. Um, I'm, you know, I'm getting more and more used to it. Um, yeah. So in our last chat, we talked briefly about how I find women in particular. Mm -hmm. So this is where I get in trouble generalizing <laughs> about gender and things, um, are a little bit, are a little bit camera shy and you mm. are not. I'm not. That's what you admitted to me last I time. I am not shy. <laughs> so, so I have a problem I need your help with. Yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, the hardest part of of doing a podcast like this is the booking part. The booking part. That's the hardest part? Getting people Well, it's, it's not, it's the least fun, that's yes, for okay. sure. <laughs> because you, it's like you, you're cold calling and kind yeah. of, a, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so I'll think of, I'll, I'll think of someone, I'll see someone online or whatever and I'll send them a note. Maybe I know them, maybe I don't. Um, you know, on several occasions I've approached women who, <clears throat> You know, claim to be helping other women smash the glass ceiling or yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. Um, in their professional capacity, but they balk at coming on or really? they express interest huh. and then they ghost me. So it's a lot like dating. It's a lot like dating. <laughs> like they string you along and they're like, yeah, you know what? I'm really <laughs> oh, not Jim. that interested. Poor Jim getting ghosted. <laughs> well, some guys too. But uh, I think some people think about it and go, oh, my God, I got to go on camera. I'm 48. Yeah, I used to I'm be 38. Uh, who knows what they're I thinking? I might carry a I'm little get more in trouble around the middle. <laughs> no, I'll, so, I'll tell you. So I'm here <laughs> yeah. with you. Tell me the truth. Is it my cologne? Yeah. <laughs> is, it my, is it my lack of cologne? Oh, my God. No, um, you are. You're... Would it surprise you if I told you I'm not wearing any cologne? <laughs> I actually appreciate that you're not wearing cologne. <laughs> you're um, allergic. Yeah. So thoughts to this point. Yeah. It's interesting. I have I actually mm -hmm. I have I have a lot to say about every topic, but this is one of those <laughs> topics <laughs> I do feel strongly about. Um so certainly most people feel I think there's a, a standard expectation that people have been shy to be on camera. I think it's changed a lot now because of social media. I certainly know that my daughters are not shy to be on camera now shy to be interviewed by somebody maybe and i think maybe that's where there is an obstacle for most people because they don't know what you might ask and they don't know how they'll sound they're young if teenagers they, though young yeah teenagers? my girls are 10 and 12. So young, um so they're young. they don't want to be interviewed but teenagers. they you know the the comfort on camera is like a whole other yes. level now they grew they literally they grew were born it. into it right yeah. yeah so when i talk to other women who are sort of in my age range or have you know been working for 20, 30 years, and maybe they've achieved something, and they should be on camera being interviewed about something. I can tell you they balk like crazy because they're embarrassed about something physical about themselves. I mean, I came on here, I was making a joke. I'm like, oh, I got to pull in my stomach. I got my, you know, like, right. and That's I'm like, why I wear black. I, 
I know. To, and you know what the thing can't. is? All of it is like, it's a mindset. I just decided I don't care about that because I'm more interested in talking to you than about that. Yeah. So I think a lot of people get stuck there. And I, and I do definitely think you're probably aiming correctly when you say maybe more women have that fear. I think you're right. Cause I live in that world and obviously cameras and everything up in your face and you know, when you're near 50, you're like, oh, <laughs> so it's interesting how, that you're getting sort of that response from people who should feel, in my opinion, really positive about themselves, very confident because they're obviously ball busters. Like they're not like shy people sitting in the corner and yet they're afraid to be put on display, I guess. Most people that I ask if they, if there's a, it's a quick yes, yeah. that's what, and then it's fine. Yeah. If there's any kind of volleying back and forth for a while and then I, right then you know it's but kind again of that's done. that's but to me it's like you're waiting for that, uh, that return message or whatever yeah. and it doesn't and so it's that part's not fun everything yeah. else is yeah. fun yeah, yeah editing yeah. is fun shooting it's fun it, preparing for the interviews well fun. i love doing it so thank you for having me uh, thank you for <laughs> for for you, you know breaking the mold i'm like your first second time Yes, you're the first return. First return guest. Return guest. Well, you know, what I've been doing is actually, because there was a a lot of really good interviews, if I can say, you know, with interesting people. Yeah. Uh, But it was, I was just starting out. Yeah. And, and, and in all honesty, the viewer, and I found out ways to make the viewership go up. Yeah. So uh, instead of just repurposing a clip of yours I figured, you do literally have a legitimate update yes right? i do because you did yes you did make a big decision after we, we disc- uh, talked yeah and i and you're you know you're good at it too so um any words of encouragement or advice for women out there who are watching and are you're kind of already did this but and are reticent about being in front of the camera how can you how can you get over this yeah oh god how do I, how do I, how do I, I verbalize know. that? I, I feel like women and men do this too. A lot of people, we get in our own way about things. We find a reason that we can't do something. And then we just decide that because I've thought it, it must be true, which is never really true. Like the glass ceiling idea. There are a lot of things that hold women back, but there's also the belief in oneself that you don't have to acknowledge that that's there anymore. You can push past it sometimes. Not in every situation, but there's a lot of women who don't feel confidence in themselves. And a lot of it is self-talk. And we do, all of us are guilty of speaking to ourselves in negative ways. And I think that there is something to be said for catching it and being able to say, why am I doing that? Because maybe I don't actually deserve that bad behavior from myself. So I, I don't exactly know. I think it's more just paying attention to the inner voice and asking it, like, do you have a legitimate reason to say that to me? Or are you just... My, you know, sometimes you just got to kind of go for it, right? And um, I just got a book that I have yeah. not read yet, but it's uh, it's for artists, like painters and that kind of artists. And but it's a lot of it's about self sabotage, yes. oh, and it's like being aware of that you're doing it, yes. and then getting over it. Yes, yeah, but it's a, a big problem because it's am I good enough? Uh, and uh, actually, a, a recent guest on the way out the door said to me. Um, and I won't say who it was, but you know, there's imposter syndrome too. Yeah, sure. It's like, do you have, do you sure. have, do you have imposter oh, God, syndrome? Of course. I do, mean, am I like you hear these? Yeah, every day. All these economic theories coming out of your of your of your of, of your soul. Yeah. Do Do you ever like catch yourself and go like, 
who am I? Uh, right. I'm saying all these right. things. Where did, Where is this coming from? Or are uh, you going, wow, I'm pretty. Uh... No, I, honestly, everyone has imposter syndrome. I think there's just varying degrees. I think that once you get more experience in something, you have less of it. And I certainly hear a lot of my incredibly intelligent colleagues speak with worry that they are imposters, even though they are doing their research and doing their homework. So I kind of have started to give it I've given it less mind than I used to, and I start to follow the 80-20 rule. And I don't know if you know this. It's probably very obvious, but, you know, 100% being perfection. There is this um, way to look at things that if you can do it to 80%, and I mean that from posting an Instagram post. What am I going to say? How should I start? Okay, press play. Get it to 80% perfectly right for you, not 100%, and then post it. Um, get your research done best you can. You will never know everything. There is always imperfect information and you can only know what you can know up to about 80%. You'll never get it right. You're not a clairvoyant. You don't know the future, but you know what? 80, 20 rule. Did I get it 80% right? Go for it because you stand out of your own way when you do that. The minute you're like, it has to be a hundred percent or I can't do it. You will never get to a hundred percent. As another guest of mine said, uh, it doesn't need to be perfect, right. right? And that's that holds people back a lot. Oh my lot. god, I screwed this one sentence up out of yeah. fifty sentences. I'll x the whole thing. Yeah. But uh, you know, fear is a big motivator, and so you can certainly over prepare, right? You can mm-hmm. be really prepared, you know, when you're going to do an interview about a topic or when you're going to meet a client, I suppose, right? So yeah, and you don't know what direction someone's going to take it. I always say you have to sit in the space completely in sync with the person you're talking to Mm. in the present moment. And you will then have to allow and trust yourself to find the information that you know to help answer the question that they might have. But if you're not, if you're trying to just come and spew facts at them, you may as well not have that conversation because you're going to sound inauthentic and you are inauthentic because all you're thinking about is what you're supposed to say. And you're not being yourself. People want to work with people they can trust and they're not going to necessarily like people sitting down and talk to you, Jim, because they honestly, you create immediate trust with somebody. It's not, it's not like you're coming at them, you know, with uh, confrontational material. So you're easy to talk to when someone does say yes, it's easy to be in this chair. I do have naughty questions and it's just, I say it in a nice way. <laughs> you do right? say it and in I said, a nice way. And I said that to you last time. Yes. Too. Here's my uh, mean question. That's what I yeah, said. My... <laughs> my, here's my mean question. Yes. Um, but you know what? There's good answers come out of that sometimes. Yeah. So you're, you know, I mean, you're a woman in the business world. Um, and, and I mean, is it tough for women in business? And when I wrote that, I, I thought, well, there's a million women in real estate. So you're dealing with yeah. women all the time. Yeah. It's just, I mean, it almost sounds crazy for me to say. Mm-hmm. Is it, is that even an issue and it, for you def- anymore? Or is it an issue in the real life? Yes, it's an issue. Uh, I would say where it's an issue is that if you are a woman that has many responsibilities, not every woman does, and that's okay, right? Not every woman is going to have children and a husband and like parents they have to take care of or, you know, investment properties that they manage on the side. Like there's a lot of things people do apart from real estate sometimes. And, you know, also men do. Obviously there's fathers and husbands and all that stuff too. I think what usually happens in the real estate world is um, women are expected to be more of the caregiver role, even in real estate. And so there mm-hmm. is a little bit of a sexism that still runs through. You the, mean you please take care of this problem? 
Um, I, I, you know, there's been a few situations where there is an expectation that, um, you know, we'll go and women usually will say, well, let me go and make sure the house is clean before the, like we have cleaners go through, but then I'll go and I'll still vacuum. Right. I have not heard one of my male counterparts tell me that they went to vacuum. Right. And I don't know whether they do, they just don't say it or that it's actually just. the bathroom's clean. (laughs) Right. Like I go through and I literally clean the house. That's not because I think it's because I'm a woman. I think I'm just doing it because I want the house to be clean. Right. But I'm aware that there is a bit of a preconception there um, around women's roles and men's roles. Now, I have to say in real estate, there are incredibly, you have to be a pretty strong person to be in real estate if you're a full-time realtor. So most of the women are not wallflowers and no one is, you know, um, really shirking you know, in the corner about being uh, a female in you the probably business. probably couldn't be successful if you, you were. You would not right. be. But I think the thing about it is that you have to actually exist as a woman in the space and not try to be like some of the men. Because right. there are many, many, many examples of men in real estate, the top realtors, many of them are men, more than they are women. And they have a certain way of operating in the business that is maybe not uh, something I want to emulate. So I do feel that I think the biggest thing in business that women are seeking is excellent mentorship and that is lacking on a daily basis constantly because even where I am I have wonderful co-workers but there isn't a mentor who's a woman who's a few years ahead of me that I can look at and say how is she doing that part of her business that's a great way I'm going to copy that with her blessing and learn how to do something a little bit better Um, because then you know there are you could follow men and do the same thing. But what I'm saying is if you're talking about it from the perspective of women in business and wanting to have a mentor, there are very few. So are you looking forward to, I mean, this is the end of the year almost. So are you looking forward to 2023? Wow. What a question, Jim. Uh, So if we were to take a temperature test. Is it going to be a good year? Is it going to be a good year? So it can be a good year for um, me if I am really buttoned down and talk to everyone that I believe might be able to use me and I can help them. Uh, what I would say is that the lottery of the beginning of this year, which is like if you sold a home in January of this year, you were a lottery winner in 2022. Yes. And those lotteries don't come around very often. Yeah. So we're not seeing the same intensity in the market that we saw this year. Um, I have quite great hopes for the upcoming year. I'm actually not as concerned as I thought I would be because I do see that there's a lot of buying. Uh, there's a lot, there are a lot of buyers out there that are just waiting on the sidelines for things to settle down. And there are a lot of sellers just holding on to their home, waiting for something to get really clear with the bank of Canada in terms of interest rates and whatnot. Uh, and of course the economy is a whole other thing that I don't know exactly what will happen, but we're not seeing quite the big depths of despair that I think was anticipated. So I'm excited for next year. I'm not as nervous as I was. Actually, I thought I'd be much more worried. I think sales volume overall for everybody will be down, which means everyone will, that will hit everybody. But um, I really do it because I love it. So as long as I make a certain amount that I can live on, I'm happy and I'm, I'm doing the thing I love to do. Well, thanks for coming again. <laughs> thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. It's fun. Always. Thanks for listening. If you have a comment or if you want to be on the show, 
send me an email at connectionsvideopod at gmail.com. And please subscribe.